Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Ruth 1, verses 1 to 5. So you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church, and the preacher is Daniel Jansen from the Christian Union in Bendigo. And so let's read Ruth 1, 1 to 5. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Marlon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Uh, We thank you that it uh, instructs us and points us to Jesus. Uh, We pray as we um, read from Ruth and discuss it, Lord, that you'll be at work in our hearts, Lord, Um, that you'll be changing it to make it more like Jesus and then we'll desire you more and more. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder, how do you respond to hard and tough times? So I have a son who's nearly two years old. He's probably going to run around during the sermon. In fact, we often describe him as a nearly two-year-old because of how he deals with hard times, of which he has many uh, a day. We'll probably have many during this sermon. Now, if we don't give him what he wants, he gets on his knees and he hangs his head and he cries. Or he might throw something in frustration or to get our attention. We also go through hard times. But unlike my son, I hope we don't respond in the way he does. But I think we respond in the way that Elimelech does in these first five verses. Uh, In the hard times, we see two ways uh, through these verses to respond in hard times and suffering. So first we learn the futility of doing what is right in our own eyes. And second, we see that we can trust in God's providence. So the beginning of Ruth shows how one man, Elimelech, reacted during a hard time. So the book of Ruth begins with, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. So there is some real wisdom that sometimes there is a need to take it upon yourself to better your circumstances when it is hard, like when you lose a job, you get another job. You might have to move for whatever reason. But in the context of the book of Ruth, Elimelech's decision is not wise. It's actually disobedient. We read this in the first words of Ruth 
in the days when the judges ruled. These words set up the story in its historical time, but also address the moral situation of God's people. If you flip back in your Bibles, just the page before, here's what it says in Judges chapter 21, uh, verse 25. It says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. The days of the judges was characterized by moral decay. They did whatever was right in their own eyes. If you've ever read the book of Judges, uh, you might notice that it has a cycle. So the Israelites would disobey God and follow other nations. Then God would raise up a nation to conquer them. The Israelites would then cry out for help and God would raise up the judges to save the Israelites. Sorry, I missed. Sorry, the Israelites would disobey God and follow other nations. Then God would raise up a nation to conquer them. Uh, the Israelites would then cry out for help and God would raise up judges to save the Israelites. Then Israel would follow God until that judge died. Then they would fall back into disobeying God. The cycle would then continue, but not just continue, but it would get worse. It would not just be a cycle, but really it would just be a spiral. So during the days of the judges, they did whatever they felt was right in their own eyes. They were supposed to be the people of God, set apart to be his distinct people, but they are instead like every other nation. So this is where Elimelech lives. He lives in this time period of Israel when everyone did what they thought was right. So when a famine occurs, Elimelech takes his family from Bethlehem to another land, Moab, which is to the east of Israel. Uh, this is an interesting decision for Elimelech because the relationship between Israel and Moab is complex. The Moabites were descendants of Lot, that's Abraham's nephew, but though they shared some kinship, they were often enemies. When Israel were in the wilderness, the Moabite, Moabite king, Balak, hired Balaam to curse them. Then in Judges we read that Moab oppressed the people of Israel. And we read also in Deuteronomy chapter 23, Moabites were even barred from entering the assembly of the Lord up to the tenth generation, which is a really long time. So the decision for Elimelech to move to Moab is perplexing to say the least. So the grand final is on next week. I'm sure we're all are getting excited for that. And Collingwood is playing. Uh, can you imagine if someone from Carlton or Melbourne dressed in black and white next weekend? and they were singing the Collingwood's club song, and they were getting so excited. It kind of it seems wrong, doesn't it? Well, how could Elimelech move from Israel, God's promised land, to Moab, the enemy? Elimelech's choice to move from Israel to Moab shows that he's turning his back on his people and on God. You see, it wasn't supposed to be like this. This wasn't God's plan. The promised land was supposed to be plentiful. Something had gone terribly wrong in that Bethlehem, which means the place of bread, had no bread. 
Israel was God's promised land that was flowing with milk and honey, but was now barren. This was probably because of Israel's disobedience. God warned the Israelites that if they were disobedient, then they would be defeated in battle, there would be famine, and generally bad things would happen to them. The land of Israel was supposed to be abundant and rich and full of people who followed God and were his people. This makes Elimelech's situation peculiar compared to ours and what we might go through. We might leave a place to seek better employment, but we wouldn't consider it disobedience to God necessarily, would we? Elimelech was leaving God's promises and God's provision. He was doing what was what he saw fit by not trusting God. So it's much bigger than just moving to another country or following a different sports team. It's moving away from God's presence and promises. Elimelech turns his back on God. This makes Elimelech's name strange. You see, Elimelech means my God is king. Elimelech should be following God. He should be mourning and repenting of his disobedience. But instead, he leaves the land. He lives like every other Israelite in those days, as if there is no king, and does what is right in his own eyes. Elimelech's response to hard times is to take matters into his own hands and do it all himself. And this can often be our response too, can't it? When bad things happen, we'll look at how we can patch it up. How can we make it right? There might be wisdom in our response, but it is often according to doing what is fit for us. And this is something that is encouraged in our world at the moment, that you live your, your, your own life or your own truth. You know what is best for yourself, and so you act accordingly. In a sense, we are all kings and lords of our own lives. We all think we are like God. But this does not change hard times. It does not turn the direction of fortune. Elimelech and his son sons end up dying, though he decided to move. There is often futility in our decisions and actions. There will always be hard times and suffering. There will be something that will go throughout your whole life. And Elimelech is an example of what it means to turn from God and turn to yourself. Of what happens when people who are God's don't act like they are his. Don't live according to his word or trust him in life's ups and downs. So I am married and it's a big part of my life. When situations happen or decisions need to be made, then my wife is always part of the discussion. I also live my life as a married person, totally distinct than a single person. So how silly would it be if I, in my own wisdom, decided as a married person to live as a single person? If I made big decisions like quitting my job or if I bought a new car without discussing it with Claire? If I flirted with other women or if I never spent time with my wife? It would be the pinnacle of folly to be married, but not live as a married person. I'm not loving Claire, and I don't think she would put up with my actions for long. 
Well, the same can be for those who follow Jesus. As followers of Jesus, God is a big part of our decision-making. And because of him, we live totally distinct lives to other people because we think it is a better way to live. How silly it is when we make big decisions by not praying or reading God's word. When we willfully disobey God, when we never spend time with him in his word and with his people. We should be God's people by more than name only, but by our actions. The thing is, we shouldn't be like Elimelech. And sadly, we see the result of Elimelech's decision to leave the promised land. We see the result is his sons taking foreign women and they themselves forsaking God. And lastly, Elimelech and his sons die. And his decision leaves his wife, Naomi, alone. So the story of Ruth is not about Elimelech, but it's about Naomi. This is the emptying of Naomi. And the end of these five, five verses, she has nothing. It's gone from bad to worse. She has no husband, no sons, no grandchildren or family line. And she has no land. Naomi is empty and in the darkest and hardest of times. Maybe some of you have been in Naomi's spot. Something has happened in your life that has left you empty. Something has been taken that was a part of you. It could be the loss of a job. Maybe you lost your home or maybe the loss of someone close to you. It has left you empty. That in some way you're not quite yourself. And it can seem hopeless. That no matter what you do, you cannot be full again. These first five verses, they let us sit in that sorrow. It offers no answer, no solution. This is the state of Naomi's life, and maybe it's yours too. But how do we find hope in this passage? How can there be any hope at all? Well, for one, it's not the end of the story. These are only the first five verses of this beautiful story, and I encourage you to listen to it or read it today. Uh, it's really short. Uh, but secondly, there is also a big clue as to where the story is leading. And it will make Naomi fuller than she could ever be. It shows that we can trust in God's providence. Uh, it's a little nod to the reader to where it is going. Now, I don't know if you've ever, ever watched Star Wars, um, but in episode one, which is really the fourth movie in the franchise. Uh, there's a character, Obi-Wan. Uh, he's one of the main characters of the series. It, it looks like he may die at one point. Right? He's hanging onto a ledge with the villain above him. It looks like, surely, it will all be over. Obi-Wan will surely die. It does, if you've never watched the first Star Wars movie, which is really episode four, because Obi-Wan plays an important role in the movie which is set in the future. You know he survives. We watch the encounter now wondering how he will pull it off. What will happen? Well, something similar happens in this passage. It's a little name drop in verse 2. 
After Elimelech and his two sons die, the writer of Ruth wants to let us know that the family were Ephrathites from Bethlehem. It might not seem much to us, it's just another name, but it means everything to the readers and the Israelites of the day because King David, Israel's most famous king, is an Ephrathite from Bethlehem. You see, the story of Ruth is not just any story, but it is a story of David's lineage, how he came to be. That even though the first five verses are bleak, it all turns out well in the end. Not just well, but better. God will turn this situation around. God is in charge. God is provident. He provides. But it's actually good news for us, because not only does it point to King David, but it points to our King, Jesus. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, written long after the book of Ruth and long after King David, God promises this to Micah. He says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. This is a promise that the Messiah, Jesus, would come from the line of David and be an Ephrathite like him. This story is about Jesus. So from Naomi's situation, God is at work. In her despair and sorrow, God is working to bring it about, bring it, bring it all about to bless everyone. Though Naomi is suffering, God is sovereign. He is over all things. In our life, it may be hard to see where God is and what he can do, but God is not distant from our pain and sorrow. And how do we know? Well, we know because of Jesus. God, in defeating death and sin and bringing a people to himself, gave his only son to die. Jesus understands our pain and grief because he knows what it means to suffer to grieve at the death of loved ones, to be driven from his home, to be tempted by sin, to endure persecution and scorn, to die though innocent. Jesus knows pain and sorrow. You may not know much about Jesus, or you may have known him for a while. Whatever the case, all of us can go to Jesus. He is aware of our suffering and aware of our needs. And he's not distant in our suffering, but he's close. And because of this, we can trust God. It might be difficult at times, and it might be puzzling as to how we might make it through, but we can rest assured that we will. Why? Well, because of what God, God promises. Like the book of Ruth, we know where the story goes and how it ends. It actually ends with Revelation chapter 21, uh, verses 1 to 5. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them and be their God. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God will dwell with his people, and when he dwells with us, there will be no more tears, no more death, no mourning or crying or pain. If there is anything to hope in, let's hope in this great promise. Let's put our hope in what happened through Jesus. You see, we can never really trust in ourselves to get ourselves out of trouble. If there is famine or financially hard times, we can move to a new town or get another job, but it won't stop future suffering or hard times. But God will. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings has this amazing quote. Um, Towards the end of the third book, the protagonists, uh, Sam and Frodo, have nearly made it to Mount Doom where they're hoping to destroy the wandering and with it defeat the evil Lord Sauron. But at this point in the journey, it seems all is lost. Then one night as they rest, uh, Sam sees something. He sees this. There peeping among the cloud rack above a dark tor high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. His song in the tower had been defiance rather than hope, for then he was thinking of himself. Now for a moment his own fate and even his master's ceased to trouble him. He crawled back into the brambles and laid himself by Frodo's side. And putting away all fear, he cast himself into a deep, untroubled sleep. Sam saw hope at the end of his journey. And that the darkness could never really defeat light and beauty. That the shadow, the difficult journey he was on, the pain and sorrow he felt and saw happen would pass and be a small thing at that. In the grand scheme of things, our pain and sorrow is only a small thing, only brief, and will pass, maybe not tomorrow or next week or next year, but it will pass away when God returns. You see, God is so much greater than darkness. God is the light and high beauty far beyond the reach of darkness. So how should we respond to hard times and to grief and sorrow? The temptation is to be like Elimelech and go it alone, to try by our own abilities to save ourselves. But it's futile. Bad times are always around the corner. What this passage shows is that we need to trust in God's providence. That though we hurt and have sorrow, God has a plan. He had a plan for salvation through Naomi that is fulfilled through Jesus. And he's a plan through Jesus that all who trust in him will be with God 
and there will be no more pain, death, or sorrow. Jesus is our hope. Let me pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that, that through Jesus we have our hope, that we can uh, trust in you, that though we have pain and sorrow, um, we can go to you, Lord, and that you understand our pain and our sorrow. You understand what it is like to live. We just pray that you will help us to trust in you. Pray that we will be able to love other people as well who are in pain. Pray that we will be able to love them. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.